Let's take our Bibles, turn over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1. We'll try to cover a lot of ground today quickly. And so Luke chapter 1, verse 13, it's going to be our text, if you will. We'll look at that, and then we'll go ahead, and we're going to look at a number of scriptures today and then make an application. We're starting a series uh, this week to run for just three Sundays, of course, through Christmas, uh, the Sunday uh, prior to. So let's see, today is the 12th, 19th, and then the 26th. Okay, those three weeks, and it's called A Choice for the Ages, A Choice for the Ages. And so today we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, and we're going to talk about John the Baptist today. And so Luke chapter 1, verse 13. There in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, the Bible says, But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness. And many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Father, we come to you today. We ask, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts as we, Father, dig into your word. Lord, help us to, Father, find the application that is so appropriate and needed in our lives, and then apply it, 
Lord, we ask, dear God, that you'd be glorified now in everything that's said and done. We do thank you, Father, for these that have made their way here and for those that could not be here that would love to be here. We pray you continue to watch over them. I know there's a number of sickness, uh, those that are sick and those that are hurting and in need of your touch. We pray, Lord, that you would do that in their lives. Now, Father God of heaven, bless us that are here and those that are watching via the live stream. May our hearts be moved and motivated to be better for you. Father, if there be those that are without Jesus Christ, may they recognize themselves as the sinners they are before you, a holy God, and trust and receive you as their Savior before it's eternally too late. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Luke begins by sharing the birth of John the Baptist. As you begin reading in chapter 1, it's apparent right off the bat in verse 5 that he's going to focus his attention now on John the Baptist and his birth. We read about his parents. Zacharias, of course, uh, Zacharias was a priest and Elizabeth uh, was his mother. And in Luke chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, we learn some things about them. The Bible says, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. They had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. So we note here in the passage that they're both righteous before God, that they're walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. They have no child. Elizabeth is barren, and now they're well stricken in years. So it would appear that having a child is out of the question. Throughout the scriptures, there's been examples of those who were in their later years having children. Elizabeth, of course, is one of those people. Her husband is one of those men. And yet here we find that God now blesses them with a child after all of those years. Now the child's name was John. And uh, he would be empowered, of course, by the Spirit of God. And the Bible tells us he would turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. Now, after hearing about his birth, we're told why he came. There in the book of John again, uh, in the first chapter of John now, not Luke, but John, verse 6 through 8, we read, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was sent from God. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. Not through John, but through that light. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. We're going to find that John was a forerunner of Jesus Christ, that his ultimate goal was to point people, men, women, boys, and girls, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when asked by the priests and Levites who he was, John would, without hesitation, make a statement. Look, if you would, in John chapter 1. Take your Bible, look over there, please. We're going to look at verse 20 to begin with. John chapter 1, verse 20. The priest and the Levites ultimately come to him. Now his public ministry has begun. And he, of course, was around, he was basically the same age as Jesus. He was six months older than Jesus. By the way, they were cousins. Distant, however, but they were family, if you will. And now here we go. We have him here in John chapter 1, verse 20. He's been asked a question by the priests and the Levites, you know, basically, who are you? Who are you? He said, I am not the Christ, verse 20. Notice right off the bat, I am not the Christ. I'm skipping just a few portions of that scripture because of time, but I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? He said, no. They said, said uh, then said they unto him, who art thou? that we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? 
verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as saith the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. It is He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchets I am not worthy to unloose. Now, it's important as we note that last phrase that not only does John point out that he's not the Christ, but he also points out something very significant. He says, listen, I'm not even worthy to remove his shoes. Now, a lot of times we'd say something like, uh, you know, shiny shoes or something like that. But, of course, they didn't have shoes like we have. They had those sandals that they often wore in that day. And a traveler most often would remove their sandals, wash their feet before they ever entered into a household. John's saying, listen, and you got to realize that they walked on dusty roads. They didn't have these paved streets that we have. So their feet got dirty. So before entering the house, they'd remove their, their sandals. They would wash their feet. They would enter into a house. And in this particular case, John is addressing a picture that they could certainly see in their mind's eye. And he's saying to them, listen now, I want you to understand, I am not even worthy to loose his straps on his sandals. I'm not even worthy to take his shoes off or wash his feet. That amazes me. It's amazing to me. We see John's humility once again on display as he answers his disciples in John chapter 3. Turn to John chapter 3, verse 28. Again, we're dealing with John, and we're going to note something about John, very important. He's a very humble man. Notice it says in John chapter 3, verse 28. He ultimately responds to his disciples, and he says to them, Ye yourselves, verse 28, ye yourselves bear witness, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. He didn't want anybody to misunderstand here. He didn't want anybody to think that he was Jesus or the Messiah or the one that was promised. He wants to make it perfectly clear, that's not me. And he says, listen, you yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. He's making the distinction again between the bridegroom here. And he's saying, listen, this is my joy, therefore, this, this my joy is there, is there, excuse me, joy therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. I am not the one that was promised. I'm not the one that was sent. Nope, I'm not the one that's going to eventually gather a bride. No, the bridegroom is Jesus Christ. I'm simply him. I must decrease. He must increase. Wow. And you know, that was always John's position. We recognize that over in the book of Matthew. Oh, excuse me, John chapter 1. Look if you would in John chapter 1 again. Because again, this is important to recognize this truth about John. Again, a very humble man. John is sent to be uh, that person that points to Christ. He's that person that is a forerunner of Jesus Christ to establish and set up the need for Christ to say, listen, you've got to get some things together because he's coming. And that's what John's purpose was. Notice what he says here in John chapter 1. And again, he's going to see the Lord Jesus Christ and he's going to take his disciples and point them to Christ. Watch this. Again, the next day, verse 35, John 1, 35. 
again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Wow. They knew what that meant. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. John knew the moment that he made that statement that that would intrigue these disciples, that they would ultimately take their, their leave of him and go on a search of Jesus Christ. John wasn't about himself, and he wasn't just about his ministry. He was about the Lord Jesus Christ always. When Jesus tells, uh, excuse me, uh, or, or when Jesus tells John to baptize him, it's funny, John immediately responds in humility. In the book of Matthew, you need to turn, but he says in verse 13, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and thou comest to me? Man, if anything, you ought to be baptizing me, Lord. You ought to be baptizing me, Jesus. Now remember, he is six months Jesus is senior. He's part of the family even. And yet here he is submitting now to Jesus Christ. He recognizes who Christ is. He knows that he's more than a mere man. He realizes that he is Messiah. And he says, listen, if anybody ought to be being baptized, it ought to be me. In your presence, I am to kneel down. I can't even take your shoes off. I'm not worthy to wash your feet. Oh, you ought to baptize me. John would go on to preach repentance in an attempt to point people to the Savior. Man, his bold and uncompromising position, however, would land him in hot water with Herod the king. Look, if you would, over in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, verse 3. We're just going to look at a couple verses here, 3 and 4 to start with. <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 14, verses 3 through 12, we read, For Herod had laid hold on John. He had taken him captive. He had taken him in custody. And he bound him. And he put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. So here he is now, of course, condemning the king, stating that he is doing something immoral, unethical, that goes contrary to Scripture, and that was not taken well. It was not received well by Herod, and as a result, he lays hold on John, he binds him, and he puts him in prison. Now, John had been in prison for some months, but he knew what Jesus was doing because his own disciples kept him kind of uh, in the loop or informed. Still, here's the problem. His continued confinement, along with the physical and emotional strain, would move him to doubt and uncertainty. You say, what do you mean? Well, in the book of Luke, I think this is important to note. Look at Luke chapter 7. I think it's so important as believers to recognize this about John. John, who was a man of God. John, who pointed people to Christ. John, who ultimately would, was, was just all in for the Lord. Notice what transpires and takes place as a result of this continued confinement, this physical and emotional strain that was placed on him being in prison. Luke chapter 7, verse 19. And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Now that to me, I don't know about you, but that kind of confounds me. 
I find that it's, it's, it seems so out of character from what we've read about John, what we know about John the Baptist. And yet he says to his disciples, you go ask Jesus, aren't thou he that should come or look we for another? In chapter 7, verse 22 through 23, Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. To the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. You know, one might believe that Jesus would be disappointed with John at this time. I mean, here he is, supposed to be this stalwart of the faith. Supposed to be a, a firm foundation planted strongly on the truth of the word of God. And yet John here now sees himself doubting and filled with uncertainties. And he's even questioning the Savior himself, the very one who he baptized. But Jesus, he doesn't respond the way you and I would. I want you to notice how he responds in verse 24. Because we learn exactly what Jesus had to say about John. He goes on now after being asked that question and after giving a response to his disciples, he says, And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. Boy, I'm glad this is in the Bible. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? Men clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. For I say unto you, Among those that are born of women there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Notice, among those that are born of women there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. All after John had expressed some concerns for the identity of Christ. All after the fact that John had found himself somewhat lost in his faith, struggling in his belief, dealing with doubt and uncertainty, and yet Jesus steps up to the plate and says, no, 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 listen, uh, no, John the Baptist, you want to talk about how I view him, how I see him, who he is in my eyes? This is somebody that is, that there's no greater prophet than John, born among women. Here's what I want to say just in passing on this topic, but you may have seasons of doubt and uncertainty in your life. And sometimes we would like to believe there will never be a time when we will question our faith or question his deity even. But my friend, may I say to you that in the midst of difficult times, struggles, and in this case, prison, those doubts and uncertainties can raise their ugly head and devil, the devil is good at causing us to question things. It doesn't mean we remain there, and it doesn't mean we stay there. We ask the right questions so that we can get the right answers, and we can ultimately go forward in faith. So how would it end for John the Baptist? I'm sure he'd be coronated a great, great follower of Jesus. I'm sure that he'd be elevated to a height, uh, kind of like uh, a king or a prince. No, not at all. Remember, Herod had laid hold on John. And he bound him and he'd put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. 
Why? Because John had said unto him, it is not lawful for thee to have her. So we pick up the story in Matthew 14, 5. Turn to Matthew 14, 5 as we recognize the end of John the Baptist. How does it end for this prophet? I mean this prophet who was born among women, who there were none greater prophets than John. John was the greatest prophet born among women, Jesus had said. Wow, how's it end? I'm sure the Lord will spare him any more heartache. I'm sure the Lord will keep him safe no matter the cost. No, because see, John's reckoning day was not on earth. It would be in heaven. And by the way, you may not see the break in troubles and trials on this earth either. It may not be till you reach heaven, till I reach heaven. Matthew 14, 5. And when he would have put him to death, talking about Herod now, he wanted to kill John. He feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being, uh, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John Baptist's head in the charger. The king was sorry. Nevertheless, for the oath's sake. Why was he sorry? Because he didn't want John dead? No, because he was concerned about the political ramifications. See, they played politics then too. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at me, he commanded it to be given her, and he sent and beheaded John in prison, and his head was brought in a charger, and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother, and his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Wow, that doesn't seem like a very glorious end to me. This is the life of John the Baptist. Now our series is entitled, A Choice for the Ages. We're pointing out choices that men made that would change the course of time. Choices that affected the ages. Here we are introduced to John and given a summary of his life. The question is, what choice did he make that ultimately would be a choice for the ages? Here's the choice I believe John made. He chose to be great in the sight of the Lord. Or you say, wait, wait, John's dad, Zacharias, was told, he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. But can I tell you, even though it was prophesied, even though John ultimately or obviously had the potential to be great in the sight of the Lord, John still had to make a decision. He still had to make a choice. See, God can and will use all of us, but he only uses willing vessels. John had to choose to be great in the sight of the Lord. Oh, it was prophesied that he would be. Why? Because God in his foreknowledge knew the choice he would make. But my friend, may I say to you that that was a choice of the ages because today we feel the ramifications of that decision even now. I wonder today, will you and I choose to be great in the sight of the Lord? Now hold on. I believe that we all should want to be great in the sight of our spouses. I really do. I want to be great. 
I want my wife to think I'm the best thing since sliced bread. And of course, she's lucky she does have someone like that. And you know, I, I think we should want to be great in the sight of our children. And what parent doesn't want to be viewed by their children as being great in their eyes? We should want to be great in the sight of our employer. I mean, there's elements here where it's the case. Uh, this isn't anything that's necessarily wrong or, or and there's nothing wrong necessarily or inherently wrong with wanting to be viewed as valuable, irreplaceable, or even great in that sense. However, our greatest desire should be to be great in the sight of the Lord. That's where things get a little amiss. That's where they get messed up. When we replace God with someone else, that's when we compromise our beliefs, our standards, our integrity, our morality. As important as others are, and they are important, mind you, they cannot be elevated to the most prominent position in our lives. See, the Lord has to be top billing. His view of us needs to take center stage, top priority, if you will. That's how God belongs in our lives. And when a person chooses to be great in the sight of the Lord, they will not compromise their beliefs. They'll not compromise their standards or their morality or their integrity. No, they won't do that. If indeed their greatest desire and goal is to be great in the sight of the Lord. Moms and dads are tempted to be great in the sight of their children. If they're tempted to be great in the sight of their children, they may find themselves compromising their discipline. Oh, I want to be great in the sight of my kids. And if your children are the one you're more concerned about pleasing, and ultimately you want to be great in their eyes more than even God's, you'll compromise your discipline trying to say, well, I'll just give in on this one and I'll give in on this one so they love me, they like me, they accept me. A young person wanting to be great in the eyes of their friends may find themselves compromising their biblical standards in order to fit in. A man or a woman wanting to be great in the sight of the opposite sex may find themselves tempted to compromise their morality. And you say, well, I certainly want to be great in the sight of the Lord. May I remind you that a desire is only a dream if not supported by an action plan. You say, I have the right desire. That's right, but if you don't, it is only a dream if you don't put something in place to make that happen. What characteristics contributed to John becoming great in the sight of the Lord then? I'm going to give you three basic characteristics. They're real simple. Nothing you haven't heard about before, probably. But I think it's important. If we want to be great in the sight of the Lord, if that's our goal, we really want that, then there's three things minimum that we need to express or, or, or possess, characteristically speaking. Number one, John had a humble spirit. John had a humble spirit. See, despite the prophecy that he would be great in the sight of the Lord, and may I say that we see Joseph, even in the Old Testament, seeing a vision and, and recognizing his position. And, and boy, it's, it's possible that even Joseph may have lost sight just a little bit. There's no reason to believe that he sinned. I'm not saying that. But who knows? Maybe in expressing that vision the way he did, he, he unintentionally caused his brothers to be envious of him. People don't like when you say you're going to succeed. 
People don't appreciate when you say, it's going to go well for me and my family. People aren't real happy with that because they're like, wait, you'll wait, you'll see. Man, our marriage is going to be a blessing. Uh-huh. Yeah, wait till you've been married a year or two. You know how that goes. So sometimes, you know what, I, I was given some advice early on. You know what, if you uh, uh, are convinced that God's going to do something with you in your life, your ministry, you might want to keep it to yourself a while. Isn't that sad that you have to think that way? For fear that people think you're arrogant, prideful, that it's all about you, that you're really not trying to honor God, it's just about you trying to toot your own horn. And you haven't accomplished nothing anyway. How dare you say those things? Boy, I can only imagine how the brothers felt toward Joseph. And may I say, John the Baptist could have easily said, you know what, I know it's prophesied, I'm going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He could have taken down the defenses. He could have stepped back a little bit. He could have relaxed some because, hey, listen, God's always right. I don't believe he did. We don't have any evidence of that in, our, in the word of God at all. His relationship to Jesus, I mean, this is his family member. His uh, fame that had been acquired early on in his ministry, he could have easily kind of, kind of settled on his lees. He could have relaxed. He could have taken his ease, but he didn't do that. He could have said, boy, I'm somebody. Man, you got to understand, man, I've got all these followers, and I've got some disciples, and Jesus is my family, and, and, and the truth is, is, that, is that, man, I, I mean to tell you, there's a prophecy about me, man. I mean, I'm somebody. That isn't John's attitude, though. He had a humble spirit. We saw that as we read through the scriptures. See, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. In Matthew 18, 4, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 23, 12, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, but he that humble, shall humble himself shall be exalted. James 4, 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. May I say that John had a humble spirit. If we're going to be great in the sight of the Lord, we have to have a humble spirit. Not when we choose to have a humble spirit, not when it's convenient to have a humble spirit, but genuinely have a humble spirit. We would even say things like, oh, by the way, uh, I have a humble spirit unless it's something I really want to do or I don't want to do. No, that's not it. John had a humble spirit. It's evidenced in the word of God. He wouldn't even, he didn't want to baptize Jesus. He didn't feel he was worthy to even wash his feet. Man, I mean to tell you, he had such a humility about him that it was obvious to all that were around him. If we're going to be great in the sight of the Lord, we need the same characteristic, a humble spirit. Number two, he took a stand for truth and right. He took a stand for truth and right. Even when confronting the king about his sin, and it was very open sin, he stood for truth and right. He understood that it could cost him his life. He knew the consequences could be grave. And yet John the Baptist made a decision that truth and right are worth fighting for. It's worth standing for truth and right, no matter the cost. Amen. And may I say, we live in a generation and an age where truth and right are not very up on the scale of priorities today. And I'm going to tell you as a believer, you're going to have to open your mouth and you're going to have to stand up for Jesus Christ. And sometimes us just shutting our mouths and saying nothing is not standing, it is sitting. And today we live in a world where everything is open. We're on the internet and in the, all these chat rooms and in all the, 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 the social media, everybody's 
pointing out their position, their feelings, where they stand, and it is often ungodly, and it is abomination to God. And yet we as believers are going to have to stand up at some point and say, enough is enough. Where I stand, I stand unapologetically and boldly for Jesus Christ. And sadly enough, that is not something that's popular today because we don't want the fallout, nor do we want the consequences of such a stand today. We will be labeled everything and anything that you can imagine when you take a stand for truth and right. And I'm not talking about being nasty. I'm not talking about being an idiot about it. I'm talking about just saying, the buck stops here on the word of God. And I stand where Jesus Christ stands. I'm not backing down and I'm not going to compromise. I'm standing for Jesus Christ. And it takes a little bit of that kind of fire in your gut to keep you standing, by the way. This idea that we're to be so passive and like lambs. I'm telling you, it's time that somebody stand up like John the Baptist and say, it's wrong. That's not right. You don't live like that. You don't talk like that. You don't do that. You don't look like that. You don't act like that. You don't do those things. That's ungodly. It's unnecessary. It's unscriptural. And Somebody's got to stand up. And mom and dad, you ought to be doing that in your home already. Teaching your children that there is a right and a wrong. There's some things you ought to just cut off in your home. I can give you a couple quick suggestions if you really want the truth from me. You come see me and I'll give you two of them without hesitating. Two of which you won't like. Two of which your children will hate. Two of which will spare your children. Not only their life being wrecked and ruined, but potentially hell. We have gotten so caught up in all this mess around the world. Well, the influence of the church should be greater than the influence of the world. Well, you can't compete with 20 hours of the world and four hours of church a week. Or even an hour sometimes. It doesn't work that way. A stand for truth and right. You honestly say, I want to be great in the sight of the Lord. You're going to have to take a stand for truth and right. So will I. A humble spirit He took a stand for truth and right. The last one I'm going to give you is this. He was faithful to the end. He was faithful to the end. He didn't just keep serving till it became so inconvenient. He finally said, it's not worth it all. I mean, I I, I got a mom and dad that love me and care about me. I I don't want to leave them. They're, They're getting older in their years. Obviously, they were already old when they had me. Who knows? Maybe John's parents were already passed away. I don't know. But all I know is, is that I'm sure there were those that depended on him. And I'm sure he thought to himself, man, I have begun a movement here. And it would be really beneficial for me to hang around and continue to spread the movement. Because ultimately, I am the forerunner of Christ. Ultimately, I'm the one that's pointing to the light. And without me, it may not get done. So I better just stick around a little while. I'm going to compromise here so that I I can do something better in the future. But he was faithful to the end. I think about Paul the Apostle in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. For I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departures at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept, my, kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Hey, Amen. To the very end, Paul was faithful. And that's exactly what Christ wants from us. If we plan on being great in the sight of the Lord, then I'm telling you, we must have a humble spirit. And a humble spirit doesn't mean not standing on truth and righteousness. Truth and right. It does not mean that. Well, we have been, man, I tell you, I could spend a lot of time on that one. 
because I've been so upset lately as I watch Christianity wilting before the world, including myself, mind you, wilting before the world for fear of not looking like a Christian. It's so pitiful, isn't it? We're so worried about looking like Christians that we don't act like them. He had a humble spirit, but he took a stand for truth and right, and he was faithful to the end. So here's the question. Will you choose to be great in the sight of the Lord? That means you, you, you commit to saying, I'm going to possess a humble spirit. I'm going to work at being a humble spirit. Now, we don't have time to go into all the details of what that means, but will you possess a humble spirit? Will you take a stand for truth and right? Again, I can't take the time to go into all of that. Will you make up your mind to be faithful to the end? Now, I want to point out another truth here real quickly as we close. I want you to consider John's parents for a moment. I want you to think about them because I'm going to give you a list, a biblical list. Consider his parents for a moment. Here's the, here it is. Watch this now. John's parents were both righteous before God. They were both righteous before God. Again, we're talking about John's parents. They were both righteous before God. That's interesting, isn't it? Hold on. That's Luke chapter 1, verse 6. Also in Luke 1, 6, John's parents walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. It's describing. In the Word of God, we see them described here. Also, John's parents were prayer warriors. In Luke chapter 1, verse 13, the angel makes it clear that he had heard the prayers of Zacharias, and I guarantee you that of his mother's. And John's parents were actively participating in ministry. Zacharias was even a priest. They were actively participating in ministry. So his parents were righteous, both of them before God. His parents walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. His parents were prayer warriors, and his parents were actively participating in ministry. Now, I have a couple questions. One, how big a part do you believe mom and dad played in instilling these characteristics into their son? How big a part? Parents, I want you to think about that for a minute. Grandparents even, think about that for a minute. Here's another one. Can we point to his parents as one of the biggest factors in his turning out the way he did? Oh, no, God already said that he'd be great. The, the parents had nothing to do with it. Seriously? I don't know what planet you live on, friend, but that's not how it works. Because every time we turn around and we look at our prison system and we look at places where they're filling up with criminals, we're finding that it's fatherless homes. That's not politically correct to say, but that is accurate. And my friend, let me tell you, the home is very important. And that's the problem today in our country. If we could settle the home problems and men would be men again and women would be women again, we would find that some of these problems that we have, the majority, would go away. Oh, there's always abuses in power. There's always issues that arise. But I'm telling you, when we have abandoned biblical roles and responsibilities, that has created all kinds of problems. And when there is no biblical authority in the home and in the country, we got issues. Especially when there's no authority even in the pulpits. Listen, you can, can you point, can we point to his parents as one of the biggest factors in his turning out the way he did? Of course we can. Without a doubt we can. 
What part will you play then as a parent to ensure your child chooses to be great in the sight of the Lord then? Oh, listen, I understand it's an individual decision, but my friend, let me tell you something. I got to believe that Zacharias sat his son down from time to time and said, you know what, son? God said you're going to be great in the sight of the Lord. God said he's going to equip you. God said he's going to provide for you. God said he's going to meet your needs. God's going to give you every tool necessary to be great in his sight. Man, he's going to want you to give your life to him. He wants you to sacrifice all for him. He wants you to be totally and completely all in. It was the last time you had that conversation with your children. Instead of, make sure you get your homework done. Do your addition, your subtraction. Make sure you get your uh, participles right. When's the last time you said, you will memorize that scripture for Sunday school? Oh, well, we're not so worried about the spiritual well-being of our children. We want them to succeed in life. Thank you, preacher. You're such a blessing to us. We love it when you tell us the truth. You'll say, you can't build a church talking like that to people. Well, if you can't, I guess we won't. But I'm going to tell you this much, it doesn't change the truth. There comes a point where we have to do what's right. We have to do what's right. Finally, as we close, as a person, it begins with Christ in your life as Savior. It begins with Christ in your life as your Savior and Lord. Will you trust him today if you haven't already? 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ hung on a cross to pay for your sin and my sin. But let me tell you what, it doesn't matter how many times he, it doesn't matter that he died on the cross unless you make it personal. Jesus Christ dying on a cross doesn't do anything for you until you make it a point to, to, to do something about it. When you finally come to the realization that he died for me, he died for me, he died for me, that's when his death will mean something. And that's when it'll actually make a difference in your life. I want to encourage you, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that he loves you so much, he literally came to earth and died for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He came for you because he knew you needed him. There's nothing you could ever do to warrant or to somehow um, gain his favor except trust and receive his son Jesus And boy, once you start that relationship, now you can make the choice. Here's the choice. To be great in the sight of the Lord. You know what? When I get to heaven one day, I've made a lot of bad choices in my life. And those choices I thought would be good things for me at some point. Some of them weren't so good. But can I tell you, the one choice you'll make that you'll never regret standing before the judgment seat of Christ is to be great with God. You won't regret that choice or the consequences that it brings in your life. It'll be well worth that, the the consequences. It'll be well worth the, 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 the sacrifices you must make. We've got to make up our mind to be great in the sight of the Lord. Get saved, know Christ, and then choose to be great in the sight of the Lord. And as a parent, let me ask you, will you provide an environment and an example for your children? that will be conducive to raising men and women of God that will make a choice to be great in the sight of the Lord? I mean, that ought to be what you and I are trying to do with our children all the time. Hey, listen, get them a good education. I have no problem with that. That's important in life. Get them educated. Get them them in a place where they can be used of God in a mighty way. Listen, education never killed anybody. Well, unless it's the wrong education. Education without salvation is damnation. 
Somebody used to say that, a guy by the name of, who was it? My mind just went blank. Down in Greenville, South Carolina. No, it was um, Bob Jones Sr., I believe. Bob Jones Sr. said that. Salvation, uh, education without salvation equals damnation. Boy, we're seeing that in our our, our country today. But education is not bad in that sense. Use it for good. But my friend, don't put that or elevate that above your child's spiritual well-being. Teach them. Have a desire for them to be great in the sight of the Lord. Will you make that choice today? You say, what does that mean for me and my, my husband, my wife? It means you've got to change probably some things you're doing right now. And your attitudes maybe. But it's worth it. It'll be worth it. When your child stands before God and you can see God saying, well done, you'll be glad you did. Hey, listen, what we do today in our, the world we live in as we close this out is important and it's real. You know, eternity seems like a million miles away. <clears throat> you know, cancer's a million miles away till the doctor tells you you got it. And the moment he tells you that, your stomach sinks in the pit of your gut and you can't think straight and there's a cloud that hangs over your head so heavy that you don't even know how to operate or function for a while. Can I tell you, that doesn't even come close to what it'll be like standing before Jesus Christ one day if we've neglected him and didn't put him first in our lives. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we convince, he says, we convince, the Apostle Paul said, and we've got to get this thing straight now. Eternity is real. Now, we may not think about it like we should walk in light of eternity like we ought to, but it's real. Let's not make decisions based on the temporal. Let's make them based on the eternal. John the Baptist made a tremendous decision, a choice for the ages, that he'd be great in the sight of the Lord. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time that we've had together. Be glorified in our life, Lord. We need you. I pray, Lord, that if there be those that are without Christ, that they would settle their soul salvation today. Lord, the truth is hell is real. Heaven's real. And Father, sin has condemned us. We're already condemned, already condemned because of the sin of Adam in our life. Inherent sin. Lord, may there, those that have yet to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as payment for their sin, may they trust him today and invite him into their life and allow him to pay for it and begin on a new journey, a journey to please and to be great in the sight of the Lord. Father, for the parent today who has allowed the wrong kind of programs in their home, has unrestricted internet in their homes, has not placed things in the path of their children to ultimately drive them toward you, to, to bring them to a place of submission to you, your authority in their life. And that begins with authority, mom and dad's authority. They fail to discipline like they ought to. Lord, help them to realize that they must make that change, that they must personally want to see their child be great in the sight of the Lord. And that won't happen until they understand how to submit to authority. Lord, as parents, help us to make the kind of decisions that will ultimately put our children on a pathway to great spiritual success. Father, we love you now. We need you. We pray for your leadership in our life. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed.